0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, Story City. My name is Victoria Dubusk, and I've been attending Story City for about two and a half years. I actually met my husband here, and I (laughs) serve—thank you— and I serve on children's ministry in the fourth through K class. Uh, if everyone could please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture is from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him?" Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. I didn't even have to tell you guys to be seated. You just sat down. You're like, Jared, here it is. We're sitting down. Good morning. Welcome to Story City Church. My name is Jared. Good morning, how you guys doing? Yeah, now you guys are awake. I love it. We're excited to have you with us this morning, whether you're joining us outside, inside, or online. It is exciting to be here together again. uh, My name is Jared. We long to see this city saturated with people who love their neighbors and neighborhoods and show that by living out the gospel each and every day. And so I'm super excited to do that. We want to raise up and send out church planters and teams to help you do that well. We want to saturate Burbank with with churches. We want to saturate the valley with churches in greater Los Angeles. not just Story City churches, but churches who love Jesus, and we are excited about doing that. A couple quick things, really fast. First of all, where's my Jen Senders? All right, you guys, yeah, welcome. All right. You guys didn't know we got some uh, missionary students here to the, the great lost place of L.A., and so welcome. Some of you are experiencing California and Los Angeles for the very first time. I, I promise it will not leave you unchanged, hopefully in good ways. Your parents are very nervous, I know, but you're going to have a good time. We're excited that you guys are here. If you haven't met them, try to find them. You will have a good time hearing their stories. So glad you guys are here this morning. Secondly, I want to thank you guys for the, uh, the barbecue last week. Listen, God himself is family. He is in community with himself. God himself is servant. And God himself is missionary. And so we are called to be exactly the same. We are called to be community. That's why community barbecues are so important. That's why reaching out to our neighbors and loving our neighbors with no strings attached. Just because we love them is so important. That's community. We are called to be in it. We are called to be servants of those around us. That's exactly what Jesus did. And we are called to be missionaries. We are sent. This is why at the end of church you hear go and be the church. It's because that is exactly what we are called to do. So thank you guys for being a part of it. It wasn't just a barbecue. It was good food, but it was so much more than that. And we look forward to more community engagement to come. All right, uh, while I'm on the, the, those type of notes, one more helpful bit of information for you. Uh, this is uh, for everybody, but especially those of you here who are new to church, new to Jesus. I know there's, there's a, a number of you here, and uh, I just want to help you out with something. This 30-minute sermon is really not enough to get in-depth in, in a way that really uh, we can grasp the full measure of what we're trying to communicate on a Sunday morning. It's just, there's just no way in 30 minutes you can get to that. So this is meant to lay the groundwork. It's meant to lay the foundation. It's it's meant to be a framework that interests you in what we're saying and pushes you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. It should draw you in. It should go, man, I want to know more about that. What do I need to do to understand this better? So no matter what we're discussing, I would highly encourage you to bring your Bible, bring a pen. Uh, If you don't know, there's note sheets every week. You can take notes on those note sheets, but write down not just the things that you're learning, write down questions. It's really good to have questions. We want you to have questions and then study, read your Bible, talk with other Christians who can help you answer those questions and so you can find those answers. Is that good? Is that helpful? All right. Even if it's not, it's what you got. So there we go. All right. Let's get to our minute to mingle question for the day. What is the difference between persistence and nagging? Let's just say I saw some awkward looks between husbands and wives when I saw that question <laughs> asked. What is the difference between persistence and nagging? What do you guys got? Attitude. Attitude. Tone. All right. From the outside. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. Tone. Okay. Tone can be. Attitude can be. I think those kind of go hand in hand. What else? Connotation. Connotation. Patience. Patience. Expectations. Expectations. That's a good one, too. What else? Situation. The Situation. Oh, discerning the situation. Yeah, sometimes it can start one way and end up the other. <laughs> yeah, what else? Intent. Yeah, here's the thing about intent, though. This is always interesting to me. One of the biggest problems in any communication is how we assume intent. And I'll be honest, we always go for the worst first. See, here's the issue with this is a quick side. This is marriage counseling 101, right? Okay. <laughs> Or relation, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, look, we, we give ourself grace in intent, but we hardly ever give our spouse or significant other or the people we're talking to grace and in intent. We, we almost always go, they intended to harm me as our first initial reaction. And yet, when it's us, it's like, no, you didn't have grace in me. I didn't mean it that way. Even if you did and you're trying to cover up your mistake, I didn't mean it that way. You're taking it wrong. <laughs> Sorry, I've been married 25 years. It happens a lot. <laughs> Uh, but here's the, here's the deal. Uh, persistence is really good. Persistence is important, especially when you're trying to get to something long term. There, there's something that happens. Being persistent is a good thing. Nagging is not. And so there's this, there's this weird balance where sometimes it can look very similar, but that intent is really important. And so God calls us to persistence, and I think that's really important for us to begin to understand. Now, Today, we have one of those portions of scriptures that is oftentimes taken out of context. There's several of these throughout scripture. Uh, There's a lot of stuff people will say, oh, that's in the Bible. It's not even in the Bible. But this one in particular has led to a rise in what we call name it and claim it theology. And since that is not a godly or biblical theology, we want to make sure that we address that today. And so uh, some people have translated this middle section, the section on prayer there, that you just ask God for what you want. He's going to give it to you. If you just have enough faith or you just ask hard enough, God will give it to you. You go, Jared, doesn't it say that right there? Let's take a look and see exactly what it says. Now, we want to address the appropriate way to interpret this passage. One of the important rules for interpreting Scripture is understanding the context in which the author writes the Scripture. Context is very important, so we need to ask questions like, What was he talking about when he got to this piece of scripture? You don't want to take one verse and just interpret it by itself. You want to see what the author's intent was. What comes after it? Who is his audience? What is the message he's trying to communicate? Is there a theme that goes throughout? This is easier in some passages than other passages. If you get to Romans, Paul drives me crazy. He likes parenthetical thought, right? He goes off on these rabbit trails and he's talking about stuff and you're like, did you, I just lost you. Where were you going? How do you get back to what you're talking about? So if you're having trouble reading Romans, don't worry. It's okay. It's not you. It's Paul. (laughs) So what is Jesus in particular talking about here? What was talking about before? Because he gets to judging, he gets to prayer, but what was he trying to communicate in his sermon? Now. It's helpful for us to take the entire sermon into context here, and so let's look at what we've learned so far. We start in the Beatitudes, where Jesus lays the foundation for us. He says, if we want to see and know God, we have to, all of us, be poor in spirit, which in turn leads us to mourn our wickedness and our hopelessness without him. We all have to be meek and realize that we have nothing good to offer to earn God's favor and love, but also that we can't carry our sin and shame around because those belong to Jesus now, not us. Jesus says you can't accomplish this on your own, but you can ask him to want those things and he will give us that hunger and thirst for righteousness. As God fills us with a hunger and thirst for righteousness, the result is that we will become more merciful, undivided in our hearts toward Jesus as we become peacemakers. And so the result of having the right heart attitude leads us to live out our faith in real and tangible ways. Again, if you want to know more about that, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, it's on the note sheet. It's, It's a really good commentary on this. So chapter 5, verses 1 to 12 are about our new gospel identity as citizens in this new kingdom. That's the beginning of Jesus' sermon. Verses 13 to 48 of chapter 5 teach us as citizens how we interact with the world and how the world is going to interact with us and balancing that tension there. Jesus uh, contrasts what they had heard the teachers of the law say to what Jesus is teaching. That's why he starts with, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And chapters 6 and 7 now are all about how to live in His presence as we depend fully and completely on Him. Now, we know that our Bibles break down into verses and passages and little titles and their sections so that it's easier for us to read. But it's not like Jesus is sitting down and saying, in chapter 5, let me begin, right? So we want to understand that what He's saying here wouldn't have had the breaks that our Bibles put in it. It's a natural flow to them. And so we, we have to look at... What comes before, what comes after. And so verses 1 to 6 on judging, we're going to look at them in relation to prayer. Don't worry, we're going to come back and talk about how to judge people later uh, another time, right? You guys, don't worry, most of us already have that down. (laughs) But I want us to help, I want us to look at that in context of this prayer portion so we understand the bigger picture that Jesus is talking about. Again, Jesus has been talking specifically about God being our provider. Verses 19 to 24. After that, he goes into how we shouldn't be anxious, we shouldn't worry, because if God is our provider, he already knows our needs, and he is a true and better father, and he's going to take care of us. If you skip down to chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, you see the continuation of that same theme, that God is our good father, our trustworthy provider, that if we need something, we just have to ask and we have to trust that he will provide for our needs. In fact, he already knows them. But if you look at that, you get down to verse 12, and it's almost like it doesn't fit in that passage, right? Like, do for others what you would want done for you. It it just sounds like it's stuck there kind of randomly. And the reason is, is because it actually goes with verses 1 to 6. This is what I was talking about about when we say you have to look at the sections and see what comes before and what comes after. Just like you can't take one part of the Beatitudes and truly understand how to live it out apart from the others, they all apply to us, we don't want to take this section and try to apply it without the context of the verses around it. So verse 12, sandwiches, verses 7-11 with verses 1-6. to You're like, Pastor, stop mentioning food. You guys don't even serve donuts since COVID anymore. I know, you're all hungry, but we'll, we'll live through this. All right. So let's take the thread of this theme and see how it goes all through. What do I mean by when it sandwiches? There you go. You did it again. All right. Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you have. God will provide. But he's also saying, don't worry about how others are living. I've got you. Pay attention to what I've got for you. Worry about your own junk. If you need something, ask God because he is your provider. And by the way, as a possible example of this, verse 12, instead of judging others by saying things like, why aren't they more gracious or generous in a way that helps when they know that I'm struggling, Jesus says, stop looking at other people's life. Don't worry about judging what they're doing with their money or their time. Pay attention to me because I am the one that is your provider. Jesus is calling us to be gracious and generous to others in the same way that he wants us to be gracious and generous to others in the same way that he has been gracious and generous to us. But it also points to a more complete meaning of what Jesus is telling us to ask for. So in that prayer portion, if he's not saying, hey, just ask for whatever you want, and he'll give it to you. Then what is Jesus telling us to ask for? What are those good things? Is it anything we want? Like some people have suggested, what is the context of this portion of scripture? Now, again, taking all of Jesus sermon as one, Jesus isn't just saying, I'll meet your physical needs. He certainly is saying that, but he's saying something more. Again, he's wrapping up his sermon, and so he's showing us that this also is a way to help us live as he's calling us to in the Sermon on the Mount. To be, to be the people who can trust God for our provisions without being anxious and fearful. Well, that's easy, right? I'm sure none of you guys worry about your provisions, about where money's coming from, about the things that are going on. No one here at all, right? To not look about how other people are living and judge them, but to submit our lives to the Lord. To come to Jesus and rely on him first instead of trusting ourselves and trying to do it alone. None of us struggle with that, I'm sure. But again, this portion of Jesus' sermon is about how to live in his presence completely dependent on him. And so this fits so cleanly and clearly with that. Those of us who think that we can live the Christian life without help, without community, to, to, to trust our own uh, morality. The morality we can produce has nothing to do with Christianity. In fact, if we think that we can live the Christian life on our own, then we've completely misunderstood Christianity. Dr. Morton Lloyd-Jones writes that the standard is the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. When we see it, we realize that we could never live up to all of that on our own. I mean, how could anyone live up to that entire standard? How could we be all of those things in the Beatitudes? We need grace and help. So, so how do we actually live the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you want to live the Sermon on the Mount, ask. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. What's it? All of this that he's been talking about. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We desperately need God's grace and help. Amen? Amen. Amen. He wants us to have all the help and grace we need. And so we ask him, we seek him continually, and he will continually give us what we need. But it's not just a beautiful promise to be with us and provide for us as the perfect good father. It's also a reminder of how it works in God's kingdom. And so if you're taking notes today, this is our first and only observation for the day. Point number one is this. Ask, seek, knock, is a reminder of a promise and a path to victory. Ask, seek, knock is a reminder of a promise and a path to victory. We'd be real for a moment, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you will have asked God for something and felt like you never got an answer in return. Amen? Amen? There's a couple of you in here. Some of you prayed for answers that took years And during that time, you're like, God, where where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? I don't hear you. I don't feel you. I don't see you. Where are you? Why are you not answering me? Sometimes we get answers in that, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes the answers are so far from what we expected, it's hard to even accept those answers. You'll notice, though, nothing in this verse includes a timeline. It doesn't say, ask, seek, knock, and in three weeks, God will give you an answer. Ask, seek, knock, and you'll have an answer before you get up off your knees. Or the toilet seat, right? Some of us, let's be honest, where you pray. Okay? Doesn't say, ask, seek, knock. hit home for somebody. It's okay. (laughs) Ask, seek, knock, and you'll get the answer within a year. It says, persistently, ask, seek, knock, and God will provide. But... Throughout scripture, there is this consistent idea of persistency, this idea of coming back to the Lord over and over again for things that we need. Luke writes in chapter 11, his gospel, verses 5 to 10, it says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked. "'My children and I have gone to bed. "'I can't get up to give you anything. "'I tell you, even though he won't get up "'and give him anything because he's a friend, "'yet, because of his friend's shameless boldness,' "'that word is also persistency, "'he will get up and give him as much as he needs. "'So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. "'Seek, and you will find. "'Knock, and the door will be opened to you. "'For anyone who asks, receives. "'The one who seeks, finds. "'And the one who knocks, the door will be opened.'" There is a pattern of consistency in the Bible, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a story of a wicked king who refused to acknowledge Jehovah God as, as Savior. He refused to follow him. And so God, through the prophet Elijah, speaks to him and says, there's going to be no rain. We're going to have a severe drought in the land. And it will not rain again until Elijah opens his mouth to ask for rain. Okay. 1 Kings 18:42 to 45. So Ahab, that's the wicked king, went to eat and drink. But Elijah, that's the prophet, went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go up and look toward the sea. So he went up, looked, and said, there's nothing. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. On the seventh time, he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. Then Elijah said, go until Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. In a little while, the sky drew, grew dark with clouds and wind and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's portions of scripture like this that frustrate me. Because God already promised Elijah that it was going to rain. And then God said, it's going to rain when you say it's going to rain. But then he has to pray not just once, but seven times for it to happen. I mean, why make him go back and pray at all? Especially seven times when God already promised it was going to be. I have a hard time with that sometimes. But even in Jesus' ask, seek knock, we actually see this pattern. We see what Jesus is telling us is more than just ask, seek, knock. Commentator Daniel Doriani writes: we lose this in the English translations. But the original text uses present imperatives for ask, seek, knock. And that grammatical form in Greek signifies that an act should be formed continually. Continually ask. Continually seek, continually knock. Ask means ask God in prayer. Seek implies that we may not know exactly what we're looking for, precisely how to pray, and so we have to come to God and seek. How do I even do this? And knock implies that we seek something that's inaccessible to us. We cannot, but God can and will open it if it is right for us. That's the meaning of that scripture, that everything works for the good according to his good and perfect will. Right? What he's not saying is that everything turns out good. He's saying that everything God allows for us will either be for our best or for the kingdom of God's best. Yeah. But there's something that happens to us when we come to God consistently, when we have to faithfully keep showing up and asking. There's something in our hearts that, that gets laid bare. Our intentions, as we talked about in the very beginning, See, if we're honest, there's times in our lives where we actually want God's stuff more than we want God himself. There's times in our life where we just want God just to give us the stuff so we can go back to having peaceful, happy, convenient lives instead of truly wanting God himself and wanting to sit in that space with him. When we do that, we're treating God like a cosmic ATM, And so sitting with God constantly reveals our hearts. It constantly brings who we are up to the surface. I forget this in my own life, but, but I don't know why, because as a father, this happens all the time. Those of you guys who are parents, you know. Your kids will ask you for things they absolutely have to have. By the time I figured out how to get it for my daughter, she's onto to something else she absolutely needs. And I'm like, but what, what about this? After a while, you learn to wait and see if they ask again. If they really want it, they're going to want it over time, not just in that immediate moment or because their friends need it and want it then. But when we come to him regularly, I've also found that he reminds me of the times that he's been faithful in my life over the years. So oftentimes I'm like, Lord, where are you in this moment? I need you in this moment. Will you provide from this moment? And and he brings up those times where he has faithfully provided for me over the years. And how quick I am to forget those moments. It also help us, helps us to remember who God is in the midst of our need. But another thing that this does is as we, as we remember what God has done for us and we continue to go to him, it reminds us of his consistency, his persistence, his faithfulness. God is a pursuant missionary God who comes after us. And so there's something about about coming to him consistently that reminds us that he has come to us consistently, that he has never left us alone, that he will never leave us, abandon us, or forsake us because he is good and he is faithful. One of the Puritans once talked about Abraham being asked to leave everything and to follow God without knowing where he was going. And the Puritan said this, he said, Abraham left not knowing where he was going, but he did know who was going with him. We serve the exact same God. A God who has not promised we will have easy, simple, carefree lives, but a God who has promised he will be with us no matter what. A God who isn't with us and for us because of what we've done, but because of who he is. This is exactly what Jesus is referring to when he talks about God being a a more true and better father in verses 9 to 11. Who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good good things to those who ask him? And one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, Lamentations 3, 19 to 24, he says, remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. So, practically, how do we do this? How do we actually put our hope in him when things are difficult? How do we continue to ask and seek and knock in practical ways? Paul tells us in Philippians 4 6 to 7 don't worry about anything. Okay, that's an easy one. Just just stop worrying, right? Don't worry about it. But here's, he's going to give you how. He says, but in everything, all circumstances, through prayer, that's coming to the Lord, right? And petition, praying is now asking and listening. Petition is continually going to God and saying, would you please do this? But he says you do that with thanksgiving. We continually remember the good things God has done and we state that back. God, you are good. You are faithful. Thank you for what you've done in my life. And he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's not even going to make sense sometimes. You're not even going to have an answer yet, but peace of God will be with you. This is how we do it. We'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It means we have two ways to live. We can live our way or trust Jesus. This sounds easy. Those of you guys who are are new to this Jesus thing, you're like, okay, I'm trying to figure this out. You know what? Those of us who have been following Jesus, apprenticing Jesus for a long time, this is actually oftentimes harder for us because we get into our consistency and our routine and we begin to forget how much we need God. Yeah, 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 I've heard this before. I know I'm supposed to trust God. Yeah, 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 I've heard that before. I know I'm just supposed to pray, but where's my answers? And we get into this place, it's like, yeah, 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 I know, but... And we know it here, we don't actually live it out here. We either trust that he is the true and better father or we don't. I don't know about you guys, but it's much easier to trust God when things are going well. If you're like me, the problem is because oftentimes I think I know best. I fail to trust that God is truly my protector and I think, man, God's gonna fail me. God's gonna forget me. God's gonna let me down. He's a big God. There's a lot of people on this planet and if I don't take care of myself, God's going to let me down. Matthew 7, 24 to 29 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet, it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. That foundation is the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is talking about. It's himself. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded the house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Jesus wraps up this entire sermon his entire Sermon on the Mount sermon, the story of two men who built houses, one built on the sand and one built on the rock. When the storms come, the ones whose house was built on the, stand, uh, on the sand did not stand up to the storms. Now, that guy is called foolish, but here's the deal no one thinks they're foolish when they're building that house. We think, this is amazing, no one else has a beach house this close to the shore. I got something no one else does. This is true waterfront property. This is awesome. I've done something incredible. And it's not till the storm comes and the foundation gets washed away that you go, well, that was a mistake. That's exactly what we're like. When we trust ourselves, it doesn't look, it's not obvious. It's not like we're going, if I do this, this it's going to end up foolishly. But you know what? This is fun. woo He's saying it looks like it's a good idea. It looks like a good plan. It's not until you find out that we are not Jesus. Our foundation, our ideas, our way of living is not the right way, even though it seems right to us. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to humans. In the end, it leads to death, the crashing of the house. When we live as apprentices to Jesus, here's the problem. We have no control. That sounds fun. But it's the only way to have a solid foundation. You know what we exchange for no control? We have true safety. We have true value. We have true worth. We have true protection. We have true love. We have true care. We have an identity in the gospel in him when it's his foundation and not ours because he is good. What is your foundation being built on? Are we trusting him with all of our lives, not just in hard moments, but consistently day after day in the small things? It's not the big things we get in trouble for. It's the small things that lead us to those big things. The great news is that he wants us to, do, to live this way and he knows it's hard for us. So what does he say? He says, if you want to follow me, if you want to live the Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us this morning. God, you are incredible. You are amazing. We need you. There's so much of us, Father, that has trusted in ourselves because we don't always trust you. And so we just... We lay that before you and ask for your help. We truly need you. And so would you be with us in this moment? In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. You might know, be here this morning and um, I, just, I just feel like many of us might actually need prayer. And so here's a deal. I'd like to create just a, a special moment for us just, just really quickly you don't have to tell us what it is, but if you need prayer, would you just stand? I'd like to pray for you. We'd like to just love you. This is community. Again, you don't have to say what it is. Just stand up. We would love to just to pray for you. It's good. We won't embarrass you, I promise. Good. It's obvious that we need prayer. Family, we are called to be family servant missionaries, and so here's what I'd like to do. I I would love if you see somebody standing next to you Again, you don't need to get into it. Just would you go around them? And the Bible says it's very important to place our hands on them, right? Just in a very respectful way. But would you just lay your hands on them and pray for them, church, as a family? I'm gonna lead us, but would you go ahead and do that right now? I'm gonna start us off, but I want us to continue to praying, and then I will come back and wrap us up with closing. Father, we come before you and know that our hearts are laid bare before you and and, and there's many people in this room that have stood up. Some of us online may not have the chance to be seen, but we know that you see our families online. You know them, you know their hearts. You know those outside who are standing and Father, we just ask that you would comfort. You would be our answer, you would be our hope that we would be able to turn all of ourselves over to you. And so in this next few moments, as the family continues to pray for those around them, Lord, would you speak, speak into their hearts through these people? Lord, we just come before you and ask that you would hear the spoken and the unspoken to be with each of these people in in these moments right here. Lord, we know there's many who have not stepped forward, but again, you know their hearts. And so would you be real and alive in these moments to us? Help us to understand and know your presence. I pray that we would trust your identity, the identity that you have given us as your beloved sons and daughters, that Matthew three seventeen applies to us. This is your son and daughter in whom you're well pleased. And so we thank you, we praise you, we love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.